Welcome to KNUK's Kind to Your Mind podcast. There's power in talking and here in this safe space, we talk openly about well-being in all its forms. Hello and welcome back to Kuna Nagel's Kind to Your Mind podcast. I'm Blee and again today I am joined by Emma and Paddy. How are you both? Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Blee. Don't want to sound too enthusiastic. That's (laughs) better from Emma there. Um, And thank you for joining us today. This episode is all about Neurodiversity Celebration Week. I believe I'm going to be getting grilled. Well, not grilled. That sounds a bit uh, bit dramatic. (laughs) But Paddy and Emma have lined some questions up for me because... As I disclosed in the last episode, I am neurodiverse, so it's a good opportunity to talk about that. But just before that, I wanted to do a little bit of preamble to set the tone and to try and maybe define a few things that we're going to be talking about. But to stop it from all being me, I'm going to open by asking you two a question. What do you think neurodiversity means? Oh, that's an interesting (sighs) question. I guess for me, neurodiversity means without kind of sound like a bit of an Oxford definition, but like anything beyond, I guess, the neurotypical. But then it's interesting to kind of think what the neurotypical is because of obviously neurodiversities are incredibly typical and incredibly normal. So it's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I guess it would kind of be about how everybody thinks and neurodiversity is kind of like talking about how different that all is. There'll be some of us that think in the same way and then others of us who think very very differently yeah I think that's a really good point actually kind of describing neurodiversity as as the diverse way we all perceive what's going on around us and then the diverse thoughts that come out of that I think you've both kind of done a good job there of defining it without me giving you any prompts actually so well done just to kind of give an example I have a form of autism we'll get to that in a bit and then my cousin also has dyslexia so that means we're both neurodiverse we just have slightly different details to our condition and also it's worth pointing out that these things can co-concur, co-occur. Too many words I can't pronounce today. <laughs> Some people can be autistic, but also have another neurodiverse thing. As for why I thought it'd be good to talk about and why this week is important is because from a little bit of research I've done and certainly from personal experiences, I think it's quite easy to focus on what the common negative connotations are that come with something like this. Whenever you kind of Google... Uh, what is autism? What isn't? What is neurodiversity? It tends to list you off a load of things that people struggle with. So I think this sort of episode is really important because it helps us to challenge some of those stereotypes and focus on some of the positive things that actually make people quite a valuable asset to a company, a business, um, a partner, uh, you know, anything along those lines. So would you two like to dive in with the questions? So first of all, thanks so much for doing this today. Um, so firstly. I would never have guessed through working with you and meeting you in person that you were autistic. Why do you want to talk about this so openly today? So I think talking about it is really important because as you've said uh, there, you you haven't noticed and a lot of people don't necessarily notice with me, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not struggling with things. So being able Mm -hmm. to talk about it can highlight to people that even though people look fine on the surface, there might be things that they could do with help with. And also you know it's important to try and to try and reiterate that actually people who do have a uh, who do think differently there's nothing wrong with thinking differently and we are we are assets just in a slightly different way 
so how old were you when you kind of first started to notice that you might be autistic? Um, I should just disclaim that, or I should just say that everybody who has a diagnosis is different and everybody's, you know, symptoms and how they display certain behaviours are different. So anything that I say today is very much a unique thing to me. Um, but how did you word that, Paddy? It was how did I know I was different? And, and no, I think it was, um, yeah, how old? I, I guess, yeah, different might be a better words um yeah how old when you first realize that yeah you may you may be different or and then I guess a follow-on is when did you may think that could be autism well this is what I thought was interesting this morning when I was thinking about it, is I didn't have a clue that it would be autism you know it's right? not something that you think about you don't go suddenly at some point in your life oh I think I mean I didn't anyway I was quite mm-hmm. young so I was 13 when I was um, diagnosed but no point in my life up until that point did I even know it was a thing. I wasn't aware of the word and obviously I certainly didn't know what it entailed. So in terms of being self-aware of what it was, absolutely no clue. Maybe it makes a bit more sense to talk about when I first noticed I was different. Um, so growing up, I had a lot of difficulty with school and education and sort of from a fairly young age. So I don't know, five, six I, I noticed I couldn't deal with things in the same way other people did. But as I said, I wasn't aware that was any reason other than perhaps I was a bit, you know, a bit odd, a bit different. So if I could go a little bit more detail on that. So what were those kind of difficulties that you that you noticed that other people might not have been facing at that young age? So for me, the difficulty was, it'll sound stupid, but it was when you mum used to drop me off at school. I used to cry every time I got dropped off. I won't be able to deal with her going home and me having to stay at school. And like I say, this is when I was six, but even so, everybody else just gets on with the morning. But I was I wasn't able to in the same way that everybody else did. And one of the traits or one of the symptoms of of people who have autism is dealing with change. So then when I moved to school in I can't remember how old I was, eight, that took me months. You know, I couldn't deal with that in the same way that everybody else would have. I mean, obviously there's a bit of upheaval and everybody feels a little bit of a little bit of something but for me it was obviously more of an issue than it was for everybody else yeah so that was kind of the second part where I realized I couldn't really deal uh, with certain things in the same way everybody else could I might have encroached on your uh, on your question a little bit there Emma no no not at all so I was just going to ask next um in, in terms of sort of your thoughts and behaviors uh, how does man- how does autism manif- manifest itself in in you how do, how would you sort of describe that in the way you think and behave for me it's really difficult to answer that because for me this is just normal I don't know how anybody else I mean nobody knows how anybody else thinks but but it's weird when you read things online and then you go I don't know about that um so I should say that my diagnosis for Asperger's which I don't think they diagnose anymore and that is also known there's a few terms for it but that's essentially high functioning autism which means I don't have some of the uh, learning difficulties, which seems like the wrong phrase to use, that can be associated with it. I, I think for me, the most ob- the most obvious thing when I was growing up, which certainly did impact me the most, was the severe anxiety. And that was mostly due to me overthinking everything to the nth degree. So it would be just stupid little things, but I wouldn't be able to, you know, I wouldn't be able to see it as a little thing. It would just, I'd just overprocess it, overanalyze it. Yeah. And it just become a massive issue. When I was younger, I was a lot different to who I am now, which I think is a big part of why nobody notices these days. 
I certainly had a lot of I had some repetitive behaviors um my special interests or highly focused area I think they phrase it these <laughs> these days that was a yeah. lot more pronounced when I was younger but for me yeah anxiety has always been at the forefront and I think going back to your question it's just because I overanalyze and I overthink everything yeah and could I just ask on that have you sort of been provided with coping strategies and how to sort of deal with this anxiety as you've got older or is it something that you just kind of deal with on a day-to-day basis just kind of thinking what help was available to you back then to, to try and cope with these things yeah I think I think the the sort of movement and awareness around autism and neurodiversity I think that has changed a lot since I was diagnosed I know it's not that long ago so it's about for a bit over well, 10 15 years now sort of revealing my age there 10 15 years ago I was diagnosed but back then it kind of did feel like I was almost a bit of an, uh, an experiment or a first time that my school had to yeah. deal with it so mm-hmm. I was quite dismissive of some of the sort of strategies and stuff people were trying to tell me to do because I knew that it just was never going to work because I know my situation I know that unfortunately the school weren't best equipped to deal with me and make adjustments I needed so these days it's very much day to day but back when I was a bit younger I think a lot of it was down to my mum you know she helped me through a lot of stuff Mm. yeah and then you you mentioned your mum there so with this so obviously you wouldn't have known what autism or Asperger's was um when you were younger so when you did get the diagnosis around around 13 was that as a result of what the people around you were noticing or was that you kind of going to someone and saying oh I, you know I, I feel a little bit different how, how did that come about so it goes back to education um I'd done my first year at secondary school and from doing some research online I think a lot of people it kind of becomes obvious to a lot of people at this time in their life that they can't deal with things in a normal way Mm. so I'd done my first year at secondary school it was kind of okay the first year but then as I entered the second year I started to really struggle with things obviously everybody around that time in their life things are changing and I think that's probably why people start to notice it because it exaggerates certain things but yeah I couldn't deal with with normal normal education for a variety of reasons but it was mainly because I couldn't control the behavior of other people and I don't mean that in a manipulative way (laughs) so yeah it didn't sound like that (laughs) so for me a big thing is and still is you know authority I don't really like it because a lot of it's made up constructs but but secondary school that's when people start misbehaving it's when people start to get cheeky um, you know all these things everybody does but I couldn't deal with a class sort of misbehaving because it meant the teacher would tell everybody off I'd get told off I'd feel that was unfair so it stressed me out even the thought of some of these lessons where I knew people were going to start misbehaving or it was a lesson you know like woodwork for example nobody really takes it seriously but because I knew that there was a chance I was going to get told off by no fault of my own I'd work myself into a frenzy and it got to a point where I couldn't um you know going to school just any day just became a difficult a difficult thing I sort of my mum eventually clocked on to the fact of how badly I was struggling um mm. we went into school and they said just take him home so <laughs> then <laughs> I was then I was t- this is what I was sort of mean about the fact that the the sort of mechanisms to help with it weren't really there at the time mm. so the school didn't really know what to do with me which fair enough my mum bless her had to sort of quit her job to look after me for a few years and the diagnosis 
she obviously led the way with that i think i assume it was possibly you know school might have pointed her in the direction of what as well it was you know obviously there's something not normal or you know there's something a bit different about lee about my son what is it so that was kind of how the journey to the diagnosis started and just as a point off that as well so how is this how has that affected your education then because obviously if, if this was more or less the school didn't know how to deal with it and their solution was oh just just go home you know that that'll make it better um yeah how, how did that impact your your education yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a slagging off the school. <laughs> We're not putting them on blast or anything. <laughs> I think some of this may get edited out. Um, but, my, <laughs> but because of the difficulties I had with stress and anxiety, my education was difficult. You know, in my secondary school education, it was uh, my mum, you know, she was dragging me, kicking and screaming to try and get me to do stuff from home. And I did, you know, I did get a few GCSEs, which was enough for me to try and, you know, I could... I just about got enough GCSEs that meant I could go to college in sixth form and stuff. But yeah, it was it was homeschooling was mainly how my education continued. But that took a while to put into place. I guess this is a bit of a different theme to what we've kind of went down so far. But doing a bit of research before this, a lot of people can kind of um, see their neurodiversity as also as their superpower. In terms of your diagnosis and your neurodiversity, you know, do you see it as this way? And have there been positives that have, have come out and have benefited you, you know, as you've as you've went through your life, whether that be personally or professionally? Yeah, they are superpowers, I guess, because people who are typically on the spectrum will have something they're really interested in. There will be things they're really good at. So, for example, for me, cars are my massive passion. So I've always been really into cars and to be honest it's been trucks more than cars but it's a bit easier to get into cars than it's trucks um <laughs> so for me my superpower is i'm just a bit of an encyclopedia about cars now as i've grown older i have been aware that that isn't a particularly useful superpower <laughs> because really what am i going to do so i've tried to channel my my passion and my um superpower my special interest as it were into a career so that's what led me to go to university to do magazine journalism where I was going to try and become a car journalist and from the magazine journalism degree and the stuff I did with cars I have discovered my passion for content creation and that's what's led me to this job as a communications executive so in terms of my superpower it's cars and as I've grown older I've channeled it into my career hopefully as i move forward i can be the best content creator i can possibly be and i does that answer your question <laughs> yeah and i guess that's really cool as well and i mean you said that kind of having that knowledge isn't the most useful but i mean i'm trying to buy buy a car at the minute so i could probably do with your input on that if you give me some criteria paddy and i'll have a list of five with you in five, <laughs> in five minutes <laughs> okay right. <laughs> people know where to go and they have a car advice yeah and yeah yeah, you, you've just started a whole thing for yourself now. No, that's fine by me. Like I say, it's, yeah. the, it's my special interest. So any questions are welcome. Just don't ask me what my favourite car is because then you'll get a very long answer about how that isn't a very good question because there's a, fa a favourite car for every situation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely there is. But this is the superpower thing is kind of what leads on nicely to the thing to note about neurodiversity is that actually when it comes to a job, if the person who is neurodiverse or autistic, whatever it is, if they've got a passion, they really need to be able to channel it into their job because if they do, they are just going to be 
a real asset, you know, and if you ask somebody who has a special interest to do something related to it, they'll give you, you know, 110%, the very cliche phrase there, but they will try their absolute best to do the best they can because it's what they're passionate about, mm. which is why yeah. I think it's important to celebrate the strengths of, um, you know, the strengths that come with the differences. I think, I think what you've said there, Blair, about like channeling, channeling your strengths into creating things like that, it's really, really quite inspiring and really good advice, I think, for anybody listening. So on, on that there of being your superpowers, as we kind of called it, what would you say are the challenges that you've faced over, as a result of your uh, neurodiversity as in like perhaps interviewing for the, the job you've got now and settling into teams, things like that? The challenges for me mostly revolve around sensory and it can be some of the process driven stuff and it can be some of the more uh, networky side of having a professional job. But I do find it difficult on a more candid note because you read these things and I've got this diagnosis, but sometimes I do feel like a little bit of a fraud almost. And that's because actually I'm aware that I don't have it as bad as some other people. I'm okay 99.9% of the time, but it's just there'll be that odd occasion where I'm not okay. And it's important that I have disclosed it with somebody because if I haven't disclosed it, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be shocked as to why I'm suddenly struggling. So when you do kind of come into a, into a new team, and you know you are kind of speaking with say uh, a manager or something like that and and there and it's that kind of conversation of oh you know what can we do to kind of mitigate some of the extra challenges that you are facing you know what mitigations would you put in place essentially to try to try to facilitate you to kind of work to the best of your ability so i think assuming that somebody has disclosed their you know, they're neurodiverse and that in itself is can be a daunting thing. I know for me it was, mm. even though, you know, I know it was going to be fine. I and mean, my manager was absolutely, you know, fine about it. It's still a bit, it's, it's a vulnerable process of disclosing the fact that you are different and that in itself is a challenge. Um, but I think once you have done that, once you have disclosed, I think it's just having conversations and it's very much about asking the person and the individual what it is they need to make them, you know, to help them perform to the best of their abilities. Because a lot of people through no, you know, they're not being, they're not, people don't do things out of malice, but they might try and put things in place that aren't actually going to help. Mm-hmm. So it's always about asking the individual what it is they need to be able to perform their best. So, and then in terms of that as well, you mentioned then the kind of challenges about initially disclosing that you would be neurodiverse. Is there anything? that would probably help make that easier or anything to facilitate, you know, feeling able to, for one, come out and say that you're neurodiverse and then also in future to, to raise any challenges that you're, that you're facing as a result of your neurodiversity. I think things such as this are just going to be the best tool to make it easier moving forward. You know, as I've said, it's easy to go straight to the negative connotations that come with being neurodiverse, which is why, you feel vulnerable disclosing it because you worry that people are going to jump to conclusions that they can't do this, they can't do that. And I think that's where the slight apprehension comes from, just because, you know, you know that people don't necessarily, like I said, they don't mean to be, um, they don't mean to jump to those conclusions, but it just it's just what happens, isn't it? You kind of naturally just go, right, what's, what, what, what do I need to do to fix this? Mm. Whereas actually, I think the more conversations and the more, openly it's spoken about and the positive sides of it i think that in time will make it more of an easy thing to disclose and more of a uh, sort of natural thing to slip into a conversation really 
Mm. Because yeah. it does it does feel like a big sort of not taboo, it's not a taboo topic, but it does feel like you can't just naturally you don't just hi Paddy, oh by the way, um yeah. on the spectrum. You know what I mean? You don't just slip <laughs> into a conversation, do you? So no, exactly. There is there is a little bit of that initial apprehension. And I think just yeah. talking about it more makes it easier. Yeah. In, Definitely. In an open forum. Mm. yeah and at the end of the day as well all your co- colleagues you know we want to be able to support you you know as people tell us you know things they're struggling with in life whether it be personal things at home or whatever whatever and new neurodiversity neurodiversity even you know we all want to be there for each other so I think it's so important that we, we do open up and you know as we've always said many times break down stigmas so what message would you want to give to others for them to take away from this podcast today so people with neurodiversity have got a wide range of um, things they might struggle with, but they've also got a wide range of things that they're really good at. So if somebody tells you they're neurodiverse, do not write them off as somebody who is strange, is odd, and is going to need your special attention. They won't. They might just need you to have a conversation with them, or you just need to listen to them, and then you'll be able to get on with them like you would any other person. You know, at the end of the day, we are just people. A lot of us just want to exist in the same way everybody else wants to exist. We don't want conflict. We just sometimes struggle to understand things in maybe the same way. And also bear with us if we get a little bit impatient. It's probably because we've overthought a conversation or a topic or an event a million times in our head before it. And I think it's trying to not normalise it, but just trying to make it like anything else you talk about, really. Mm bit of stress bit of autism going through you know that's what i say to my mum sometimes you know if i'm <laughs> i don't know what would be, would be you know might be getting a coffee and then i'm distracted by the traffic it's because i'm looking at the cars and the lorries so yeah <laughs> just normalizing a bit of the old autism um, showing through <laughs> yeah i think it's really good that you know everything you've said today has really kind of touched on the point that we do need to have open conversations and be able to learn about one another so that we all feel comfortable to kind of be our best selves at work and be supported how we need to be able to do our jobs and feel comfortable, relax and just enjoy ourselves as well while we're at work. So I really do hope that, you know, that you've inspired many people, which I'm sure you have, just to be honest about, you know, what they need uh, to get by day to day in their jobs and just as a person in general. I think that's going to wrap up this episode. So it's a thank you from me. Yeah, thank you from me. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you all of you. And um, stay tuned for the next episode. And if you do want to get involved with a future podcast episode, remember you can email in and that web, uh, that email address, sorry, not website, is uk.wellbeing at kuna-nagel.com. We'd love to get some of you involved. So yes, thank you. Keep an eye out for the next one and bye. Bye.